0: For Ron um, and for Nick, since you guys haven't been here, we've been working through the book of Hebrews. And we're in chapter 7. Now, there's this character that has appeared twice in name already. And Paul, I'm oh, not Paul, I'm sorry, the writer to Hebrews, some people think it was Paul. I don't think it was Paul, but uh, some people think it was, but we don't know who it was. We know the Holy Spirit inspired whoever it was to write it to a group of people that lived in and around Rome. And these people, had a. it was a faith community made up of a group of people that professed Jesus and that were all in with Jesus. They had been baptized in the Holy Spirit and, and they were growing. There was life in them. They were being persecuted, not only from the Romans, but from their own countrymen, the Jews, And yet they were still growing. But there was another group in this faith community. They had left Judaism and they were professing Jesus, an intellectual buy-in to Jesus, but they were not all in with Him. They had never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They weren't growing. They didn't have new life. They simply had an intellectual assent to who Jesus was. They believed in Jesus the way people today go to church and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. They know the facts that He died on the cross. They know that He died for their sin. They know they're sinners. They may have prayed a prayer, but they've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They've never had a new birth experience, and they're not believers. They're not true believers. And there's a third group that's trying to figure it out. They're all part of this faith community. So this letter was written to warn them and say you need to be all in. Chapter 2, he says, don't drift from the message. How can you neglect such a great salvation? And he's warning them, don't drift away. We talked about that. drifting. You can drift away from the message so much so that you become hardened to it. And he's saying don't do that. In chapter 3, he says, don't harden your heart like they did in the wilderness. He's talking about from Numbers and Exodus where the children of Israel kept hardening their heart against God because they would not obey Him. And He says, don't do that if you hear His voice. Don't harden your heart. Let today be the day that you become all in. Then the third warning was in Hebrews 5.11-6.12 where He says, don't waver. You're going back and forth. Don't go back to Judaism. Go to Christ. Be all in. And then last week, we looked at these four soul anchors that are really motivations for us to want to be all in with Him. The first one was that we can trust in God's character. He doesn't lie. He cannot lie, right Dave? He cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. That's what Scripture says. And so, what he says, he accomplishes. And he had made specifically a promise to Abraham back in chapter 12, and the unbelievable unfolding of that promise throughout time should encourage us that when God makes a promise, He sticks to it. He's a person of character. We can trust in His character. And that's the first anchor. The second anchor was that He also has a plan and purpose for things. So even though Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, or actually, and they sold him, they were going to kill him, but even though they, were, they had ill intent, God was behind it all. And, and used Joseph to preserve those very people that sold him into slavery. And Joseph recognized this because Joseph was a God-fearing man. And he said, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. You see, he knew his brothers were only instruments in the hands of God. And and, and so God has this unfolding plan. and. The writer last week at the last part of chapter 6 was trying to say, look at Abram, look at what God did. He had this unfolding plan. We can trust in his purpose for things. And then we saw that we can trust not only in his, word, or his character and his purpose, but also in his commitment. God made an oath with himself back in Genesis chapter 15 where he made, Abram did nothing. God made the oath with him. He was a smoking fire pot that walked through the blood path to say, if this is violated, Abraham, I'll take the punishment. <clears throat> and he did in Jesus Christ. And we saw that. That's another anchor for us, a reason to, to be all in. And then the fourth thing is he says, and this is what leads us into this week. He said, you have a great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, there's that name again. It popped up back earlier. And remember, before he gave this warning in chapter 5, he talked about Melchizedek. He goes, wait a minute. I can't talk to you about Melchizedek. You can't even, you can't, you know, you guys need milk. How are you going to have a big filet mignon with bacon around it? That's in essence what he said. You can't handle this solid food. This is food for the big boys. This is not baby food. And so he gives them the warning. But what's so amazing is this is one letter. It was read in one one continuous sitting to the people. What happened in the last chapter? It's a chapter for us, but they didn't have chapters. It's a short period of time. Maybe what? Ten minutes? Five minutes maybe? And what was shared? What could happen that could make them not take it here in one minute and then over here in the next minute they're, they're okay to take it because he starts teaching about Melchizedek. The only thing that can make a difference is the Holy Spirit. It's not time. And that's why he's outside of time. You see, for a child who's five, their brains can't mentally process algebra or, you know, Calculus. So they have to have time for their brains to develop. Even if you could teach them basic arithmetic, they just can't grasp it at five years old. No. No. But the Holy Spirit can come into somebody's life and they can grasp spiritual concepts not based on time, based on the Spirit revealing it to them. They have the Spirit. The Spirit is like a, it's like a lens that helps you see. And so that's what happened. And he gave them this warning, and I believe some of them responded, and so he goes into the teaching of Melchizedek, because he said at the end of last week, he says, "Christ, Jesus Christ is our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, before I sent those questions out this week, before you looked at the text, if I would have come around, let's say two months ago, and I put a white four by six card in front of you said I want you to write everything you know about this incredible character of the Bible named Melchizedek what would you have written Brian very little <laughs> what about you Same. what about you I would have said he's the king of Salem you would have known that yeah you're an anomaly You really are. Abraham paid tithes to him. Abraham paid tithes to him. Did you know that before you were? See, but you guys are an anomaly, I'm telling you. Most people, when they hear the name Melchizedek, they go, oh, that's some Old Testament guy. I've heard the name. But that's it. Abraham went and got Lot and brought him back. Well, that's the story out of Genesis. Every Jew would have known that story. You know why? Because it involved Father Abraham. The Jews would have known it. So here's the writer. Writers, this writer, you know, of course the Spirit's inspiring him. But he's brilliant. Because he's taking the Jews back to Father Abraham to make a point about the Messiah and Jesus. Because what would be their struggle with him saying, Jesus is a high priest? No, not a Levite. He's not from the tribe of Levi. Did that work out for people who tried to do that before? There was a king named Uzziah. And Uzziah says, you know what? I'm going to go in and I'm going to offer incense, which only the priests were supposed to do. I'm going to play the role of the priest. What happened to him? For the rest of his life, he was a leper because he tried to usurp what God... It said in his word. God has orchestrated things. But do you know how many king priests there were in all of the Bible? Two. two. Yeah. Only well, there's really three, but one of them is the third. So there's Melchizedek, and there's the Lord Jesus, who is Messiah. Messiah was prophesied to be a king priest. And they're both called King of Peace. Only two in the whole Bible. Only two. So do you think it's significant that maybe we ought to investigate who Melchizedek is? I'm going to tell you, I've been in church for most of my life. I've never had a ser- I've never heard a sermon on Melchizedek. And, and it's right here. He is a very important person because he's the only other king priest in all of Scripture. And that's significant. And that's what he's trying to bring out here. He's saying that, listen, he is a priest and he's king. Four times in verses 1 and 2, he says he's a king. Now, why is that significant for us? Dave, what is the biggest thing that you and I talk about the struggle with the American church is? Is it people wanting Jesus as Savior or accepting Him as Lord? The The king. <coughs> See, we don't understand kingship. We don't understand absolute monarchy. We don't understand it at all because we grew up in a democracy uh, or actually a democratic republic. And in a democratic republic, guess what? We, the people, are behind the power. And so we bring that perspective to Scripture with God and we think, well, the majority should decide what to do. Not God through His people, through His priests and through His kings. And and so what he lays out here is about Melchizedek, Messiah, and Jesus. Who is Melchizedek and why does it matter? They would have known who he was from the Old Testament perspective. So for us, we need to go back to Genesis chapter 14 and let's read the few verses. He's only mentioned in Genesis and Psalms. And in name in Hebrews, but he's he's mentioned elsewhere, not in name, but in association with these. So let's go to Genesis 14. And as we turn there, what I want to share with you today, real quickly, because we only got about 20 minutes, is six truths about Melchizedek and Jesus. They both were priest and king. Only two people in Scripture that fulfill that role at the same time: priest and king. They both were priest and king. They both were divinely appointed. Which there's a difference between being appointed by God and just coming into it through heredity. All right? They both were greater than Abraham. They both were called King of Righteousness, King of Peace, and they both were pictured as eternal. Jesus was eternal. Melchizedek was pictured as eternal. Remember, in the Old Testament, we had pictures of Messiah. It was, it was to point to Him. So as we go through this, I want to read through the text, and, and I'm going to come back, and we're going to look at um, each one of these real quickly and just make a few comments with some supporting verses, okay? So let's go verse 1 of chapter 7. For this Melchizedek king of Salem priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, King of Righteousness. And then he is also King of Salem or Shalom. That is King of Peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. See how God, how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham for he was still in the loins of his ancestors when Melchizedek met him. So what he's saying there at the end is that Levi, who had not yet been born, was still a sperm inside of um, Isaac, who was inside of, a sperm inside of Abraham. Actually, a sperm inside of Jacob, who was inside of Isaac, who was inside of Abraham. And he's saying that this guy received something that made, that made him greater than Abraham. And so that's his whole point because the Jews would have understood. Now remember, what was the verse at the end of chapter 6? It says Christ, Jesus, has been made a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So, Because in the Jewish mind, they're going, wait a minute. How can He be a high priest? He's not from the tribe of Levi." That's where the priest came from. And so he goes through in chapter 7, he devotes a whole chapter to explaining who Melchizedek is. So now, back to uh, Genesis 14. This is what the Jews would have known about him. Chapter 14. And what had happened is there had been this big battle. Five kings were battling other kings. They had taken Abraham's nephew Lot captive. Abraham gets 318 men and says, we're going to go get them. It's kind of like the raid on Entebbe, man. He goes, we're going in and we get him. He takes Lot and he comes back and guess who meets him? The king of Salem. The king of Shalom. The king of Jerusalem. Melchizedek. So look over in 14, verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Shalom, Brought out bread and wine. Hmm. Bread and wine. That's an interesting picture of what's to come, isn't it? Amen. He was priest of God Most High. That's El Elyon. That's not what the people of Israel called God, but that's what Melchizedek called him. The, the people of Israel called him Yahweh, which we know as Jehovah which is God of Israel. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high. There it is. By God, El Elyon, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And guys, that is all they would have known about Him from the Torah. But in the wisdom books in Psalm 110, there's a messianic psalm. Go to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. This is a messianic psalm. It's not talking about David. It's talking about Messiah. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Who else quoted that? Well, Jesus did. Absolutely He did. Why? Because it's a Messianic psalm. He goes on to say, The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. Who's He talking about there? Jesus. Yeah, Messiah. He's ta- well, He's talking about Messiah. They would have known Messiah. They didn't know the name Jesus yet. They didn't know Yeshua was Him. But they knew they were talking about Messiah there. But then He goes on to say this, The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. Why, Dave? Because He cannot lie. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Wait a minute. He's making a statement about Messiah and relating back to Melchizedek. Now, why does he say after the order of Melchizedek? Now, go to Zechariah chapter 6. So he's hit the wisdom books, he's hit the Torah. Now, let's look at Zechariah chapter 6. This is fascinating to me how God's just got this all in Scripture. And you got people that say we need to detach from the Old Testament. Are you kidding me? Really? And miss stuff like this? This is 90% of the stuff underwater we never see. Chapter 6 of Zechariah. Look. Look down at uh, verse 11. Take from them silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of Yeshua, or Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. Whoa, wait a minute. What did he just say, do? He said, make a crown and put it on who? On a a priest. priest. And say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch. For he shall branch out from his place. He shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne and there shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crown shall be in the temple. Wait a minute. Who's he talking about there? The Messiah. Yeah. He's saying the Messiah is going to be a king and a priest. Now, I'm not going to go into detail, but in Revelation, it talks about a king and a priest when it talks about Jesus. Because it talks about the line of Judah. What tribe did the kings come from? What, what line did they have to be from? Yeah. And you know what's interesting about that? You go, well, Saul wasn't from Judah. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. But what happened with Saul? He was... Pew! And who was put in his place? This little bitty boy... 12, 13-year-old boy named David. Well, he was chosen to be king then, but he was from the tribe of Judah, wasn't he? And then every right king after him was from that tribe, including Messiah. I'm going to tell you, I've been walking with Christ for a long time. I've never, ever connected Melchizedek with being a king priest, Jesus being a king priest Zechariah being there, uh, you know, the Messianic Psalm Psalm 110 being there in the in Revelation, the Lion of Judah, the lamb who represents the priest <clears throat> from beginning to end from Genesis to Revelation, it's there. So why is that significant for us? We're going to be kings and priests in the kingdom of God. Yeah, but, but when, what I what, what do praying. we struggle with? Is Jesus the Lord of our lives? Is He King? How many times do you hear Him being presented as King when you hear the Gospel? We all focus on the priest aspect of it. the, The sacrifice aspect of it. He's King and Priest. I think you divide Him and you do a disservice to people. Now, can God still bring glory to Himself? Yes. But the bottom line is He's a King... Four times in verses 1 and 2, His kingship is mentioned. He's saying He's king and He's priest. Listen, you know why it's important too? In Ezra 2, you can just jot this down. Ezra 2.62, there was a group of people that wanted to be priests and they looked up their name. They had no lineage. And they said, sorry, you're disqualified. Now, why would that have been a problem for them saying Jesus was a priest? Because the people that Hebrews was writing to, were going, wait a minute, Jesus is not connected to the tribe of Levi. So that's why the guy's going, he's in the order of Melchizedek. Wait a minute, there was a Messianic Psalm about Messiah not being in the, you know, the Levitical order, but being in the order of Melchizedek. And they, he's taking them back there. So here's the thing that's important about that, and it's the next thing, not, not just priests and kings, They were both appointed. You see, the Levite was priest by heredity. He inherited it. Yeah. It was just a heredity thing. And so he, through heredity, was brought into the the, uh, priesthood and served. Not so with Jesus. He was appointed. And the same with Melchizedek. Appointed. Now, if Jerusalem is what... He was the king of, which that's what most people believe. He was a king of Salem, king of Shalom. What was that area like? It was called Jebus. What was that area like when Abraham was around? Good or bad? Pagan or God-fearing? Pagan. So God puts a guy in the middle of this pagan place and says, this is my priest. See, people were offering sacrifices before the sacrificial system was given to the Jewish people. Did you ever think about that? All the way back to Genesis, remember? Cain and Abel? They were offering sacrifices. So God puts a guy who's called the king of righteousness in this pagan place to represent Himself. Because He was appointed. Priest of the God Most High. Now he, and it says in Hebrews 7.21 which we're going to look at this next week. But 21 says, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, he's talking about Melchizedek, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. He was made a priest by an oath by the one who said to him. Who would have said that to him? God. God Most High. El Elyon. So, I want to point out a couple of things about Aaron And that priesthood, and Melchizedek in that priesthood. Aaron, was he a universal priest or a national priest? National National. To who? Israel. Israel. Yeah. He was a national priest to Israel. What about Melchizedek? He was universal. He he was the priest of God Most High. That's a term all-encompassing of the whole earth. Was Aaron subject to a king? Yes. Was Melchizedek subject to a king? He was the king of Salem. Think about that. Aaron was subject to a king. He wasn't a king. He was subject to. So who's greater? Melchizedek Melchizedek is because he was a king. With Aaron, when he offered a sacrifice, did it bring peace forever or temporarily? Once a year, right? He had to do it every year because he had to redo it. But what about Melchizedek? What about Jesus? It's forever. Melchizedek, it says he's a priest forever and his, his, he brings eternal peace. He was a picture of Jesus to come. And he's talking about Messiah. Uh, we already said Aaron inherited it, but uh, Melchizedek was appointed Aaron, the priest of Aaron, those Levites, did they, they had a finite term of service. They went in when they were 25, they apprenticed till they were 30, and then they served from the time they were 30 to 50. At 50, they were done. But what about Melchizedek? What does it say about him? I read it. I just got through reading it. You are a priest forever. So who's greater, Melchizedek or Aaron? Okay, so here's what he's doing. And this goes into point number three. He was greater than Abraham. Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. Why? He uses this argument. If A is greater than B, B is greater than C, then A is greater than C, right? So, he says if Jesus is greater than Abraham, and Abraham is greater than Levi or Aaron, then Jesus is greater than Levi and Aaron. That's the point he's making to these people. Because what's their hang up? Their hang up is how can Jesus be a priest? Aaron was the great priest. The Levites, that tribe. And so that's the argument he's using. And he uses four through ten and he brings out two things. He says he brought him tithes and he blessed him. And he says the superior blesses the inferior. So the very fact that the king of Salem and the king of Shalom Melchizedek was blessing Abraham makes him greater and Abraham was giving him tithes. And so he's greater than Abraham. That's the third truth about these two beings. The fourth one is he's called the king of righteousness in verse 2. His name translates Melki is king and Zedek is righteousness. So he's king of righteousness is what his name means and contrary to what we do, their names had meaning. Isaac was called laughter because his mom laughed. Jacob was called trickster because he was a manipulator. So this guy was the king of righteousness. Which meant he had the moral authority to rule in a pagan area. Now listen to this. Jeremiah 23. This is what it says. And remember who he's a picture of, right? He's a picture of the Messiah. He's a picture of Jesus. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Remember what I read back in Zechariah 6? This branch is going to be a king and a priest. And he will reign as king and deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land. Philippians 3. 3 9 says, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Faith in who? Faith in Jesus. 1 John 2 1 says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with Jesus, Jesus Christ, our righteousness. Jesus is the king of righteousness too. And Melchizedek is a picture of that. Fifth is king of peace. Verses 1 and 2. Peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, because of Jesus we have peace with God. He's called the king of shalom. Shalom is peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, don't, don't worry about anything. Why? But trust in God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Our peace comes from Him. Now here's what's interesting. Psalm 85.10, you know what it says? It says that righteousness and peace kiss each other. Have you ever heard that verse? Psalm 85.10. And you know what that means? That you can't have peace without righteousness. Right. Right. True peace. There is no true peace without righteousness. And, and in Psalm 72.7, it says, in His day... May the righteous flourish. May peace abound until the moon is no more. You see, there's associated with peace righteousness. In Isaiah 32, 7, the effect of righteousness will be peace. And so what he's doing is he's showing this connection between Messiah, Jesus, and Melchizedek as the fourth picture of this Messiah. And the last thing is eternal. Now, Melchizedek wasn't eternal, but he's pictured as eternal because there's no record of his mother, there's no record of his father, there's no record of his death, which for somebody as significant as him, there should have been. And so whoever wrote this letter to the Hebrews goes, how do I help these people understand that Jesus can be a priest? Wait a minute. There was a guy named Melchizedek and he goes back and seven times in this chapter, his eternal nature is brought out. He's talked about being indestructible in verse 16. Forever in verse 17, a priest forever. Forever in verse 21, permanently. But it's picturing Jesus. He saves all the way to the utter, to the utter end. Verse twenty-five. Verse twenty-five. He always lives to make intercession. Verse twenty-eight. He's a son, perfect forever. You see, the Mel- Melchizedekian order of priest—it's a lot to say—was an eternal order of priests, and it came from God through appointment. So, what does that all have to do with me and you? Well, do you struggle? With him being king. Yeah. I think we we really need to examine, is he king in my life? Because he's a king and priest. He's not just our priest. He's not just our sacrifice. He's king. Do we struggle with that? Maybe we struggle with him being priest. Maybe, maybe we struggle with the fact that we think there's things in our life that, that you know, he can't heal. Sin that he can't atone for. <clears throat> maybe we just need to be reminded that we need a priest in our life. You know, sometimes when you do what I do, you get going along and you forget that you, you need a priest. And Monday I had a big reminder. You know, I did something with my wife I hadn't done in probably 20 years. I lost my temper to the point of yelling. I, I never do that. I don't do that. I just, I'm the calm one. I can make her just as angry without ever raising my voice. So I just, sometimes I don't even raise my voice. But I yelled at her. I was angry. Man, I was so angry. And I don't even know where it came from, it just erupted out of me. And I pulled away in my car. I was so mad. And the worst part was I had to go right up there and get on the air on the radio program and tell people how awesome God was. Feeling like dirt. And I get on there. And I don't do a very good job of faking it either. But on the way here, I was reminded because I've been (coughs) studying this of, you know what? He's my righteousness anyway. I don't have anything to offer people anyway. I I don't have anything. And so I said, God, you're going to have to speak through me today because I don't have anything. I am so low right now. Would you you just be my righteousness because I am so unrighteous. And it was a reminder to me that I need a priest in my life to intervene. And he reminded me of a verse where it says he's always sitting next to the Father interceding on my behalf. And I just said, thank you for that reminder. Do I really believe he's our righteousness and he's our priest and he's our king? And I'm grateful for that. And I hope that today you were encouraged by learning about Melchizedek and why he's important. Because he was a foreshadowing of who Jesus was, a king and a priest. And if anybody asks you, well, what about this Melchizedek guy? I hope now you can say more than, well, I just know he's an Old Testament name because he's an important figure. Let's pray.